Hey, thanks for checking out the V1 Church podcast. For the past five episodes, we've been diving deep into the book of Galatians, and so much breakthrough has happened through this series as a result of learning the Bible and applying it in our daily lives. You're about to hear Pastor Mike take us through a powerful conclusion of Galatians as we continue our series, Beaches. So make sure you listen to the very end, and we'll see you on the other side. Can we welcome every single person who's watching on our live stream right now? Last week, I was so encouraged because I was in Queens, and I went to go watch the live stream just to see how my boo kitty, a.k.a. Pastor Julie Signorelli, uh, was preaching. And I can call her that because I'm married to her, but please do not call her a boo kitty, or you will see the unredeemed part of me. So... (laughs) You know, I was encouraged because as I was looking at the comments in the live stream, it was just so cool. Someone was like, I'm watching from, actually someone from Africa typed out the sinner's prayer at the end of the service and hit it as a comment on the live stream. And I was like, whoa. And then someone else who was in Aruba, which is totally not fair. You score no points for watching from Aruba. Um, Well, we're all out here, but somebody was watching, just looking at all the comments. So I want to let you know, if you are watching, we consider you just as much of a family digitally um, as we are here physically. But, but, ain't nothing like being in the room. Am I right? Man, you just smell all these good New Yorkers. We cover up with cologne everything we can't cover up with cologne. Galatians chapter 5, I want us to do this. Um, As you have your Bibles open, maybe your Bible glows. I want to thank you for charging it up for this service. Maybe you've got a paper Bible that you are just simply struggling to read in the darkness right now here in this auditorium. But would you just stand for the reading of the word? We're going to read chapter 6 in its entirety. But before we do that, biblical scholars and biblical commentators actually believe that the last verse in Galatians chapter 5 was, should have been the first verse in Galatians chapter 6. Do I have any biblical scholar wannabes with me? So oftentimes people will read Galatians chapter 6 and say, it's so random, it doesn't make sense. It's all over the place. It's almost like Paul is just sort of like throwing out his last little thoughts before he closes it down. But if you will read the last verse in chapter chapter 5, and then read that directly going into chapter 6, the entire thing begins to unfold in such a way that you can get a profound revelation. So I want to do that for you now, and I just want us to stand for the reading of the word, and I want us to just celebrate the word. Now watch this. I believe that we can kind of have the, the, the kind of church where the best part of the sermon is the scripture. And because, because if we can make that true, then your Monday can be crazy. Because you could be sitting down by yourself reading the Bible, getting your mind blown, and the Holy Spirit doing something. So I'm going to give you full permission to shout if there's something in this scripture that comes alive to you. Because we know that this book is the only book that breathes. It's alive. And so we're going to read it together, all right? Chapter 5, verse 26 says this. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then chapter 6 says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something 
when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let not us grow weary in doing good for in due season. We will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing of the flesh who force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may, they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by which the word has been crucified, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirit, brothers and sisters. And somebody said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So as we continue the study of the book of Galatians and, and try, to, try to wrap it up here, Paul is dealing with two basic problems. He's got one concern. It's doctrinal. And the concern that he has on a doctrinal level is simply, do we all believe that justification is by faith in Christ alone? He's got a doctrinal concern, and he's writing a letter to the churches in Galatia because he knows that they've come out of alignment. And it's so crucial to unity to be in alignment. The other concern that he has is, is really a situational concern, and it's that they are connected at a heart level. Because, you know, sometimes you can all say you believe the same thing and yet still not be in unity. Because unity is something that starts in the heart and manifests all around you in life. So he's got this, this doctrinal concern and this situational concern, and in chapter 6, he fuses both of those concerns together. And when you read chapter 5, verse 26, and you bring it into chapter 6, you get a revelation. So let me read it again. Let us not. Somebody say, let us not. Okay, sounds like a command, and y'all are bad kids, okay? We all know where you come from. You got the chancla, you got the switch, you got the wooden spoon. I got the wooden spoon. I'm telling on my mom. When she was like, can I join the prayer team? I'm like, you better repent for beating me with that wooden spoon first. Get in right standing. 
But, it, but I, so when you get a, now watch this, how good are we at doing the things that someone tells us not to do? Don't they feel better? Doesn't it feel better? Hey, church, don't read your Bible this week. <laughs> don't pray. Let's see if that works on some of the rebels. <laughs> Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Do not let us become conceited. Do not let us provoke one another. Paul is calling for a heart condition. He's asking us to have a certain position and disposition of our heart. And he's saying, let us not become conceited and provoking one, each, one another, envying one another. Actually, we're going to break down the word conceited for those of you who may or may not have the proper definition. Because this, I think, will blow your mind. Conceit is, is when you are desperate for recognition and affirmation. I never looked at it that way, have you? When someone is conceited, they are desperate for recognition. When you look at it from that vantage point, doesn't it sort of make you feel sorry for conceited people? It's like, wow, you are so desperate for affection that it produced that disposition of your heart. So we can't just look at this on a psychological level, though, because I would just then be a motivational speaker. But how many of you know I'm a preacher? We got to look at this on a theological level because you can't solve psychological problems without having theological solutions. That's why you can't dismiss the word of God in 2019. It's why this book stands supreme over every other book, because it's his words. And when you get the theological right, the psychological starts to unravel like a knotted ball of yarn. Not just the psychological, but the theological. So in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul begins to explain to us that every single one of us have this desire that we're born with. Now, I haven't had the privilege of meeting every single one of you. Some of you, I had to actually roast a pig at the V1 church picnic to finally get a chance to meet you. I had to give you bacon because we all know that relationships are formed over bacon. And all the vegans said, I find another church. <laughs> but without even knowing you, I know something about you. Paul knew it too. Inside of every fiber of your being, on its spiritual, soulish, emotional, and physical level, you have a craving to hear a phrase. And you all have it. And they have this craving in India. And they have this craving in Africa. What's up, Zambia, who's watching every week now? Didn't even know where Zambia was. Had to look it up. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> but they have this desire. You want to know what it is? In Romans chapter 1 and 2, Paul explains that we all have this desire to hear God say one thing to us. Good job. I'm proud of you. Well done, good and faithful servant. And if you can't go to God to find your well done, you will go everywhere else and to everyone else finding your well done. If your marriage is having problems right now, do you know what it probably is? You haven't found your well done in your spouse. 
You just need her to say it so bad because you are working your butt off, driving in this traffic, paying bills, and you desperately need her to fill that God-sized cavity that's labeled the God well done. And I'm here to tell you that Facebook has a like button, and they went from a like button to a heart button, and they got a share button, and Instagram has a share button, and Twitter has a comment and a like button and a share button because we are all desperately in search of a well done. We're wired for well done. Look at your neighbor and tell them you're wired for well done. Now let's just see if we can satisfy them a little bit. Say, I'm proud of you, bro. Now you want to see something so sick? They didn't even mean it and you still liked it. Am I right? So, I had somebody's marriage just got restored in that moment. You have it. I'm, that's how easy it is. We have such a desire for a well done that a fake well done will help us. And maybe that's why you're still even satiated by the fake well dones because those will help too. But I dare you before service is over to get the real one. I told you I'm preaching my whole notes this service. <laughs> Conceited is this, you're desperate for affirmation and approve yourself. But we've got another word in there. Let us not become conceited. Okay, I'm, I'm flowing with you. Provoking one another, envying one another. Envy, what is envy? Can I define envy for you? Envy occurs when you compare yourself with someone else and then in your frustration realize you simply cannot do what they do to the level they do it. And then that produces envy, and then envy turns to anger, and then anger turns to the poison called resentment. So, in all of your human interactions, you show up for your first day of the job. Oh man, I'm so glad I got hired. All your coworkers, in their default mode, because this is the operating system of humanity, will look at you and they will either become conceited or become envious. They are either going to look at you and say, I can totally do better than them and I know I can do better, therefore I am better than them and now I am going to shift into being conceited. Or they'll look at you and say, yo, this guy's coming out with the heat. He's working like he's a Christian out here. He must serve God with that kind of work ethic. He's making V1 Church look good grinding at the bank like that. Don't nobody care about a job like this. And they're going to say, I don't simply have that in me. And then their heart takes the position of envy. And then that sort of angers them every time they see you do a good job. And then in their anger, that turns into resentment. And then you wonder why you can't go into work and have a good day. Because everyone is either in competition with you because they're conceited. Or everyone is resenting you because they're envious. And I'm preaching good to somebody today. That's the default mode of all of humanity. If you can't get along with your own family, can I just tell you, you've got one or two problems. Envy or conceit. If you can't get along at the workplace, if you can't get along, this is the condition of the human heart. It's the only two modes that we operate in. So Paul does something real dirty. See, apostles, they know how to do something to you that checkmates you in a way that allows you to see the revelation when your cognitive dissonance wouldn't let you see it. Because they were getting away with being Christians, living in such a way that was conceited or full of envy. And he was saying, okay, 
I'm bringing out the big guns. He was writing a letter like this. He pressed in real hard when he got to this part. And he says, watch this. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You know, when somebody asks you to do something that's not possible to be done in your own power, it forces you to believe and understand that there must be a greater third way that has to open to you. And I introduce you right now to the gospel. The gospel is the power to restore a relationship without accepting being conceited or envious. Can I keep preaching to you? It says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, tell your neighbor he's talking about you, spiritual superhero. Tell him he's talking to you. Especially the one with the big Bible that's all highlighted who cussed somebody out on the way here. <laughs> Brother, if anyone is caught in any transgression, say the word any. So any means your stuff too. Any means your stuff too. So brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, you who read the Bible and pray every day, you who listen to Elevation Worship and Hillsong and Bethel and the old school jams all on the way to work, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Let's talk about what it means to bear each other's burdens. See, this podium, this podium weighs about, I don't know, 120 pounds. <laughs> listen, it, it's, listen, listen, you'll, you'll get on that level. So if this weighs 120 pounds, to bear the burden Listen, I know I'm making it look easy. I'm sweating because of nerves, not because of the weight. <laughs> to bear this burden, you would come and lift the other side, and what's half of 120? 60. In order to bear each other's burdens, you must take the weight in half. And so when you lift a couch or you lift a podium, what you're essentially doing is redistributing the weight. And so what Paul is saying is to bear each other's burdens, it must cost you something. And that's what he's demanding. He's saying to get a full revelation of the gospel, you must restore somebody by bearing the weight of the thing they're struggling with. And it says, don't even get all up in yourself because you're going to be tempted too. And it doesn't say that you restore the relationship with them. It says that you restore the relationship. You restore them themselves. So you see somebody caught in a character flaw. What do you do? This is, you, you know, because we all see it. Let's just be honest. Go to church long enough, you're going to see some imperfection in imperfect people. That doesn't make you a leadership guru. It makes you a jerk. You know what I mean? Oh, man, you have an insight. Welcome to the human race. We all do. You have an opinion. So do I. They monetize our opinions on social platforms. Praise God. Doesn't make you a genius. It just makes you a critic. And so what the Bible actually says is when you see somebody caught up in a flaw, call it out, 
behind their back, gossip about them ruthlessly, tear down their name so they can't possibly ever be restored into a position of leadership or ministry, and then you will have fulfilled the will of God. Right? Because if I was reading the Bible through the lens of church culture, that's how it would read. It says if you see somebody caught up in a flaw and, and, and they just keep going around over and over and over again, give them your best for a little while. And then when they frustrate you beyond your own limitations, you can feel guiltless about giving up on them because they didn't respond to the truth. Right? Galatians chapter 6, we all read this, right? What does it actually say? It says something a little bit more offensive. It says this. If anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. The definition of sacrifice, the very definition itself is carrying someone else's burden for them. That's because it costs you something. Paul is describing the type of relationship that we simply have no ability to do because we want to give up. We want to say that we went to the fullest extent that we could. We tried everything that we could. I mean, we, we just, we feel like we reached the, the limitations of our own wisdom, our own knowledge. We told them the scriptures, we, whatever. But in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is actually talking about prayer. And he says, my father will give you things, good things when you ask of them. And if, if you who are evil, this is so crazy, give good gifts. Because, you know, even evil parents are capable, they have the capacity to give good gifts. This is what he says. He's talking to the apostles. And we never read the scripture this way, but he's actually, his audience is the apostles, and he's saying, you're evil. It's like sort of offensive. He's using them in that description of giving good gifts. And he's causing them to examine their whole heart. But the good news is that's only half the gospel. One half of the gospel is we're all evil. And you know, secular humanistic worldview doesn't allow for you to believe that because you believe two things, either that you're born a blank slate and that society programs you or that you were actually born good and society corrupted you. The Bible actually teaches the different, a different opinion. The biblical worldview is that you were born evil. And if that offends you, I can't wait for you to have your first kid because they're gonna prove it. I can't wait. The Bible came alive to me the very first time my daughter took her toy and started thrashing it on my brand new TV, shattering the screen. And then when I confronted Bella in her demonic fit of rage, because only something pure evil will cause her to break dad's TV before the White Sox were getting ready to play. See all the sports fans groaned. And I said, Bella, did you just destroy the TV? And then her brain that was born evil said, it's time to lie. And it was in a man voice in her head. It's time to lie. And she said, no, I didn't, daddy, with shards of glass all over her. <laughs> and so half of the gospel message is that you're evil. And even evil people have the capacity to do good things, but that doesn't dismiss the fact that at your core, you are in a fallen state. And see, here's the thing about it. It doesn't 
necessarily make Mike Signorelli look bad to tell you all the bad things I did. It makes the grace and the cross of Jesus Christ look even better to see what he could do with a sinner like me. That's the other half of the gospel. You know, Paul is basically saying that we have two options when we're confronted with a relationship with another human being. Here's the only two options you ever have. My life for yours or your life for mine. That's it. And I just need your permission to get very vulnerable right now because I feel that in order to properly explain Galatians chapter six, I need to get into some locked doors inside of your, your mind and your soul. Can I let it get heavy for a few minutes, church? Every single time you were ever abused in life, every single time you were ever hurt, it was somebody getting that equation wrong. When somebody rapes somebody else, when somebody molests somebody else, what they're saying is you will sacrifice your life and your body for mine. You will give me you so that I can have whatever I want. If you were raised in a fatherless home like I was, maybe it was because your dad looked at you whether he knew it or not, and he said, it's your life that you're gonna give so that I can live mine however I want. I'm not gonna bear your burden. I'm not gonna carry the weight of the responsibility of fathering you. I'm gonna do what's even worse than abandoning you. It's actually causing you to give your life so that I can live mine however I want. That's the equation of abuse in the lowest common denominator. But I will tell you this, anytime your heart has been filled with love, anytime you've looked at someone and truly felt compassion, truly felt cared for, anytime out of gratitude you've said, I will do whatever I can to reciprocate the love that I've experienced from this person, it's because they loved you with the kind of love that says, I will give my life so that you can truly live yours. It's the reason why in our culture, mothers are so special. Because oftentimes mothers live the kind of life in this era of human history that says, I'll work two jobs. I'll work my finger down to the bone. I'll just keep giving and giving in hopes that if I can lay my life down on this altar of our family, you can have a better life. And so the gospel message is saying that every single one of us so easy to point the finger and say, well, that person did this heinous thing that's simply unforgivable. But the, the offense of the gospel that's talked about in Galatians chapter six is, this, is the fragrance of our own sin and our own nostrils that says even on your best day, you were still a foul stench to the Lord because you came to him just as broken, but your any transgression was just different than their any transgression. And, and, when, and what it says is that the people in this time in Galatia were doing all these religious practices so that they could remove the offense of the cross. They were trying to look good, sound good, smell good, act good. I'm going to stop saying a cuss word. I'm going to wear pants or dress pants. I'm not going to wear a skirt. I'm not going to wear makeup. I'm, it was like they were trying to do everything they could 
to remove the offense of how scandalous the message of the cross truly is. And he was saying, don't let them use you like that. If you've ever fallen prey to religion or the tradition of man, it was someone else using you to remove the offense of the cross. You know what makes the cross so potent? Is when we acknowledge the fullness of our own sin. It just makes it so much. And that's why I think when Paul said, yeah, I'm a murderer. I was all those things, but that doesn't make me look bad to admit it. It makes Jesus look even better because I got here now as a result of the cross. Verse 12 says this, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would, who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may be persecuted for the cross of Christ. The cross is offensive. And he says this as he continues on. And I think this is one of my favorite moments of not just Galatian, but you will find these moments woven in through all of Paul's letters where he says, I boast in the cross alone. Now I wanna define for you what boast means. Boast historically has a warfare root and a warfare uh, origin. So to boast would be I'm the general of an army. And as we are, are lined up, I would say our spears are sharpened, our swords are sharpened and ready, our horses are fed and, and able, and we will conquer. And I would boast. And then all the men would say, right? freedom <laughs> and we would charge but see what happens is your boast always reveals the thing in which you put your confidence so let me give you some boasts here's a boast hey man we were raised poor but at least we had each other you just boasted your confidence was in the relationships you had with your family here's another boast Hey man, listen, I know the economy gets crazy, but at least I've got a stable job. Your boast is in your job. Paul, over and over again in scripture, continues to say, boast, Philippians chapter three, verse three, we boast in Christ and we put no hope in the flesh. It was his way of saying, don't get it flipped. Jobs come and go. Family members turn their back on you. But if you boast, if you're gonna go into warfare, know the only way you're gonna win this battle is saying, I put my boast in Christ, in Christ alone. Not the eloquence of a man, not a religious institution, not a business, in Christ, in Christ alone. All else is seeking sand but upon this rock I will stand I boast in him I boast in him and when you're around people they will reveal where their true confidence is based on where they boast but I've had to learn that my boast is in him and him alone and Paul was provoking you provoking you will you boast in him Boasting in the cross means three things, and we're closing. We seek the applause of God, not the affirmation of man. Oh man, what a freedom. What a freedom when you wake up in the morning and before you do anything, he whispers in your ear, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. 
It don't matter how many likes you get on that post today because none of their likes will add up to my love. It's an amazing thing, men, when you stop seeking the approval of man because you hear it's, it's audible, I'm proud of you. When you don't feel like you're enough, women, you're raising your kids, you're watching all these bloggers curate their life in such a way that it seems as if their day is perfect every day of the week and you're reading their blog while you're choking down the pills <laughs> while you're slapping your kids with wooden spoons praise God bring that wooden spoon to the altar next Sunday <laughs> give your kids a break but we never feel I hear this phrase from women all the time I never feel like I'm enough because when you're comparing yourself against an illusion in the blogosphere that never existed in the first place how could you but when you wake up before you cooked that meal or you burnt it, before you took your kids on a field trip or grounded them to your, their bedroom, the Holy Spirit says, daughter, I'm proud of you because when I look at you, I see Jesus. Your life is hidden in him. He's perfect and his perfection envelops you. And before you go out and put on your Gucci, before you go out and iron your best outfit, you're clothed in his righteousness. And I see you, but I don't see you, I see him. And because I'm, a, I'm approving of Jesus, because he satisfied me forever, and you're wrapped in him, you satisfy me. And then you wake up and you say, I'm enough because he's enough. And that cavity that's caused you so much pain every single time you consume the seconds and the minutes and the weeks and the months of life, every time you bite in to another circumstance, you're reminded of the pain of that cavity for the affirmation and the approval of man. It begins to be filled. You want to know the secret? When I get to heaven and God says, Michael, because it's the only thing I'm living for. Good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. Do you know he won't necessarily be talking about everything that I did here on earth? He'll be talking about what Jesus won for me. And I think that when you get a full revelation of that, you open up this pathway to grace. You undam this, this river of his love and affirmation, and it begins to pour into your being. And then all of a sudden, out of the fullness of the pathway of grace just flooding your soul, you begin to live a life that Paul is actually demanding that you live. And here's what happens as a result. You begin to do what's not possible in the operating system of humanity's defaults. Now in the temple of God, the Old Testament temple, in the very middle of it is the Holy of Holies. And you know, oftentimes we're seeking images to worship. We want a carved statue. We want a face. We want a God we can see. It's so much easier that, that way. But that's foolishness because what we got is so much wiser. Because when you go to the Old Testament representation of the temple, in the very middle of it, the very center of it, you will find no graven image. You know what you'll find? 
a mercy seat with the blood sacrifice of the lamb running. And you know what that's representative of? Not a God that you see what he looks like, but a God that you see what he acts like. And as that blood is running on the altar, he's saying, when the whole world abused you and said, give your life for mine, I'm the God of the whole universe and this altar and the very blood that runs on it is crying out, I gave my life so that you can truly live yours. But every good leader understands that leaders always model the proper behavior first. They go first so that you can go second. And so their first step is accepting that sacrifice. And then you say, I want to be just like my dad. He gave his life so that I can live. And the secret to living is to die. The secret to living is to give your life and to disappear. And then when you let it all go, you find the true life. And then when he says, don't be envious, don't be conceited, you know what you can do? You can say, hey, Aaron, when I compare myself to you, you play the guitar so much better than me. And without Jesus, I would have envied you and that envy would have turned into resentment. But guess what? I'm your biggest cheerleader, man. I wanna lay my life down so that you can worship and the whole nations can see. I'll actually sell everything I've got, man. Launch a church and a movie theater, build a stage just so that you can be all that you're supposed to be, man. I, I believe that there's greatness inside of you. I don't, I, I don't even care that I'm not as good as you. Can you teach me what you can do so we can all go up together? And then you look, you say, Ivan, you're such an incredible communicator. You know, I've got some experience. Sometimes I think I'm better. I, I think I could probably out-preach you if I had to. At least I spit more than you do when I preach. But you know what the gospel gives me the power to do? Hey, Ivan, I acknowledge that there's greatness inside of you. And I'm going to lay my life down to extract every morsel of your destiny out of your gut so that you do triple anything I could ever do with my own life and I'm gonna bond myself to you, and I'm gonna die daily to you, and Mike Signorelli is gonna disappear so that you can take the forefront and do what you're called to do. And in that moment, the gospel comes alive. But I don't have the power to be that. All I can be is conceited. All I can be is full of envy. But the gospel allows me to be a restorer of relationships. The gospel allows this church to be so unusual that the world says, I don't know how a culture like that could have come through the wisdom and knowledge of man. It must be the unity of the gospel. People, do I have two more minutes? They just reset the clock. You guys messed me up. <laughs> I got 30 minutes now, guys. The last thing I want to say quickly is this. Quickly, quick, quickly, quickly. So, Five years ago, I showed up to work at Road to Life Church as the executive pastor. I was the number two guy, over a thousand people, and I inherited an intern program that I was supposed to lead. And they introduced me to the interns that were transitioning, and I had them for a few months before they went on to the next year, and then I was to raise them up. And I was getting the download on them all, and one of them, I said, well, tell me about Scott Heiberger. And they said, well, Scott Heiberger has been in and out of prison for the last 20-something years. 
and we acknowledged that there is a call of God on his life and we allowed him to do this internship. And I said, praise God, let's go because the grace of God is that scandalous. Well, Scott Heiberger began to flourish and he began to serve our local church with a spirit of excellence and a spirit of unity. And he began to provoke other people to join small groups with him and, and bring them on journeys of freedom. And that guy was working above and beyond the call of duty. And he was just winning so much favor in my eyes. But spiritually, I looked at him one day in the middle of, of him just doing what he was doing and the Lord spoke to me and said, Scott Heiberger is called to pastor. He has a pastoral call in his life. So I went to my pastors and I said, hey, Dave and Vanessa, I know this sounds crazy, but Scott Heiberger has a call to pastor in his life. I know he's just an intern. I know it doesn't look like it because he just got out of jail and has one of those burner phones you buy from Walmart. Uh, doesn't even have an iPhone yet. You know, he, you know, this dude looked like he was in a time warp because he had been in and out of prison so much. He was like he had lost those years and, and yet the Lord was accelerating him in that season. And, and I, all of a sudden, Dave and Vanessa stepped back and I'll never forget, Dave paused for a moment and he said, I think he does too. And we took him through that process and Scott went from a prisoner to being an intern and from an intern to be a pastor. And it was incredible. And we began to just grow this prison ministry and men were getting free and by the hundreds I mean it was just they were so inspired by Scott's story and it was just this amazing thing but as he came on pastoral staff we did these executive reviews every Monday and I'll never forget one time we're sitting in our staff meeting and he says hey I got to tell you guys something I keep getting our church in all these prisons and we're growing the ministry but I keep hitting a lid the lid that I keep hitting is that I never told anyone this. I was already so ashamed about the time I did in prison that by the time I got to be a pastor, I never wanted to tell anyone that I've been escaping a felony in Florida all this time. And I never faced the music. And every time I go to get into a new prison, I've hit a lid because I can't expand our ministry because that thing keeps coming up. And he said, this is the last week you guys are gonna see me. I'm gonna go down to Florida and face the music and I don't care what happens. I just know that sometimes you have to go down the mountain to reconfigure, to go up higher. And I've hit my lid and he dropped all of our jaws. And I was like, all right, man, let's, let's go. So we pray for Scott, Scott goes down there. And then they, actually they were shocked, you know, like he checked them, he basically checked himself in and they were like, you're here for what? And he went and they put him in jail and he was awaiting his court date. And I remember thinking like, dude, Scott's in jail. Pastor, Pastor Scott is in jail right now. About a month and a half later, he had his court date and he stands before the judge and the judge said, son, you're looking at 20 years, 20 years. What do you say for yourself? How have you ran and you call yourself a pastor? You call yourself a man of God, but you had a secret and you ran from it this whole time. What do you say for yourself? How am I supposed to believe that you truly changed if you made a whole new life, but never confessed this thing that you had hiding the whole time? And Scott looked up at the judge and he said, judge, I understand. And I've ran my whole life, but my only proof and he's literally shackled up like this. He says, my only proof is that I'm here right now. And whatever I have to face, I'm willing to face it because I wanna be a man of integrity. And then that judge actually said, 
Now, do you believe like the apostle Paul, if you were sentenced to jail, you could do a lot of good work in the prison? Now, how many of you know that judges don't talk that way? The atmosphere began to shift. And, he, and Scott was sort of startled by that. And I watched this on video, by the way, because you know, they, they actually record the court proceedings and we were actually allowed to have access to the footage. And I'll never forget being in my office watching this. And Scott's kind of confused. He's like looking around like, wait, what? Like the judge is about to preach to me before he just sends me to jail for 20 years. And he goes, yeah, I do believe I could do a lot of good work in the prison. And the judge goes, I think that you could, but I think that you could do even more if I just dismiss all these charges and let you go free. So that's what I'm gonna do, be free. And then he looks at my pastor and says, now, since he came all the way to Florida, take this man to Disney World and y'all go have fun. And the whole place just erupted with celebration. And all of a sudden, nobody knew this was going on. Scott Heiberger came back to church. We put his story on the screen. And then all of a sudden, he comes running out. And the place just went buck wild crazy. We're like, ah! And right now, there is a movie by the Billy Graham Foundation being filmed of everything I just told you. Michael W. Smith is playing my pastor, Dave Gargano. Joey Lawrence is playing Scott Heiberger, who was here at our church just a year ago. But why do I tell that story? I was living in what was going to be a movie. Let me ask you this. If V1 Church was writing the script of a movie right now, what part are you playing? See, because when I look back on it, I'm in, I'm in his book, I'm just saying. The part that I played was when everyone else saw a convict, I saw a pastor. And I, I was bold enough to feel stupid enough. You know, I remember going to Pastor Dave being like, dude, you're gonna think I'm crazy, but I think that guy's a pastor. And I'm so thankful because when I look back at the part that I played in the movie of Scott's life, I got to be the pastor who saw the pastor in him first. And so my question to you is if a movie is being written right now, what part are you playing? Are you so self-absorbed and can conceited and envious and filled with the worries of this life that a movement is in your midst but you're missing the movement come on somebody the book of Galatians was being written scripture was being written but there were some that couldn't see it in their midst they said oh and this is what was funny when I was at Road to Life Church in the time that that miracle was being written there were people saying oh this church doesn't have that so I'm leaving oh this church doesn't get that so I'm leaving and I'm like wow they were immortalized in the movie as the complainers who left the church not the ones who called out destiny and became a catalyst for hundreds and thousands of men in the prison system to get free we all have to choose what part we play and I just I have a lot of regrets in the story of my life I'll be honest I've been the villain but the grace of God happens when the dramatic reveal is when God says hey you know that person in the movie who's been the villain the whole time they don't even know it yet but they're the hero I'm gonna use them in a mighty way. So if you showed up to V1 Church and you started getting into villain territory, the story's still being written. Would you stand to your feet? The story's still being written. 
Paul wrote the letter of Galatians because people were undermining his spiritual authority. People were undermining his knowledge of scriptures. People were undermining his knowledge of the Savior, and he had to set it right with an apostolic alignment. And I feel like so much of this summer was us setting some things right with an apostolic alignment, knowing that this fall, this church is going to the next level. Does anyone believe that? What a powerful message from Pastor Mike as we wrapped up our study of the book of Galatians. We believe that God did something special and powerful in your life through this podcast. So do us a favor, share it with somebody that you know needs to hear this message, and we will see you next time.